I want you to know this. Hey, Johnny. That we, Pastor Keith and I, Ronald, Frank, Bill Treby, Steve Roberts, who am I forgetting? <laughs> Phil Widener. How could I forget Phil? We really do appreciate you. We really do. Even for those of you in television land somewhere out there. We want you to know that. Not everyone thinks that. And some of us may not even act in a way that you can, he appreciates me. But we really do. So can you receive that this morning? Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening willingly and openly and receivingly to the word of God. It's one of the greatest pleasures and honors that God gives. Maybe it is the greatest. To men such as we. To be able to stand and be able to share this incomparable word of grace. Amen. So, thank you so much. In December of 1776, a great war was going on. All of you know what war we're talking about? 1776. Who knows what war that is? The American Revolution. Haddon? What? Okay, Edward. Well, Haddon had his hand raised, but okay, Edward. Okay. I mean, these, these low kids, man, they're at it. They are at it. What, what war? Oh, the American War for Freedom. Revolutionary War. Thank you. The rest of you, 1776, that's that war. And a man named Thomas Paine wrote these words. And I want to quote them to you. Oh, by the way, I haven't, I've not given you notes. I've given you a piece of paper with lines on it. Because this morning, I really struggled with this. Do I give you the notes, you know, have them outlined? Or do I give you a piece of paper? And I think overall, what the Lord wants of us today is to let what is going to be shared our souls rather than being another teaching. And this is what we do. It is a teaching like every teaching should be, but sometimes we don't do this well. And so I have withheld the notes from you. So you write down what you think is important, what God gives you. But I want you to listen with your hearts and your minds, your feelings. Let this word sink into you. For the word that is heard when it sinks into our souls and is experienced in us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
changing us and conforming us by that word into that word. Amen. So can we do that this morning? So who remembers these words of Thomas Paine? <sighs> these are the times that try men's souls. These are the times that try men's souls. Now, how many of you or us can identify with that these days? Hmm? About 10 of us. These are the times that try men's souls. And what's happening during these kinds of days is a real dangerous activity. And that activity is this. Please be aware of it. We've said it many times in different ways. There is a very real danger here. Not the danger of getting COVID or even dying of COVID. That's not the danger. That is the real danger. It's not the danger of whether we should wear masks or not or whether the Democrats are going to do this and the Republicans are going to do the other thing. Those are not dangers, essentially. The danger here is this, that there is an enemy who is in the thick of every issue that we are experiencing today. And he has but one purpose only. And that enemy's purpose is to undermine, to weaken, and even if he would be able to destroy the faith of God's people in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what's going on here. The real issue here isn't COVID. It isn't Hurricane Ida. It isn't anything. One issue. That issue which has been from Genesis 3.1. And the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And he said to the woman... Hath God said, and he begins his malevolent, unceasing attack against the word of God, against the person of God, against the work of God through the circumstances of life. And so we're in the midst of a series. Pastor Keith felt to be leading us, calling, calling it behind I should know this. I've been here every week. Behind the scenes of difficult times. Looking behind the issues of today. And he's been referencing Hebrews as our biblical bases for our ability to look behind the scenes and not only to look behind the scenes, but to discern in those behind-the-scenes activities, who is at work, how is he at work, what is he doing, why is he doing it, 
And then gleaning from these passages in Hebrews, the word of God that is given to us by the Holy Spirit for our encouragement, protection, leadership, instruction, etc., etc. That's where we are. So you remember last week, Pastor Keith ended in Hebrews 12, 28, and he said this. Therefore, let us, he's quoting from scripture, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When we are bombarded by all this stuff, how many of you can identify with the issue of we begin to tend to forget the truth of God and our gratitude begins to diminish. Are you with me this morning? How do I know the gratitude diminishes? Because the preoccupation of our minds and our thoughts and our actions are about the issues of this world rather than about the person and work of God. Satan is attacking much. And one of the core areas that he attacks is our gratitude. I mean, how many of us can really say, genuinely say, thank God I am suffering right now. Whew. You see, it's that gratitude. And so this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be giving us one of the ways of protecting our gratitude against these accusations against God through these circumstances. And so what we're going to do is focus on, I'm not going to say the most fundamental because I'm not sure if I can say that biblically accurately, but I can say this. One of the most central biblically significant issues of our lives. We want to focus on just one issue this morning and to remember that issue and to allow the Holy Spirit to engender in us, to increase in us, to bubble up in us gratitude for the grace and the mercy and the power and the glory of our God, even in the midst of these lousy days. Amen. Lousy in the natural, but glorious in the spirit. Because these days, as we learned in School of the Word this morning, thank you, David Batten, wherever you are. The glory of God is seen so much more clearly and powerfully in the midst of all this yuck. Amen. So what is that, um, that, what is that issue that we'll talk about this morning? It is the issue of our forgiveness, of our forgiveness. So let me read to you from Hebrews 10, 12 to 17. Because what happens is this, these days generate or at least allow for spiritual amnesia in relation to the fundamentals of the faith 
relation to our forgiveness. And the issues of the day become more centrally significant and remembered than the work of God in forgiving us. And those that we have to protect that. So Hebrews 10, 17, 12 to 17. Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Sanctified means set apart by the Holy Spirit, having been born again, having been saved. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after having after for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days saith the Lord I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind and I will write them and then he says and here's the central verse I want us to remember this morning Hebrews 10 17 this is the verse that we need to remember to make central their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Father, we're here today because we're forgiven. Father, cause this enormous work to so fill our hearts and minds with joy, with satisfaction with confidence father that nothing in my life in my wife's life in this church in our lives that nothing can disturb our gratitude to you father make it so in Jesus name what is biblical gratitude I'm sorry what is biblical forgiveness we have a lot of strange ideas about forgiveness. And I was tempted to go down this line. You know, forgiveness means forgetting. It means not worried about justice. It means not, you know, forgetting about the pain and ignoring this and that. It doesn't mean, no. Biblical forgiveness means it is God's decision. Now, yes, you may write certain things down. Biblical forgiveness is God's decision to release or cancel the debt of our sin. Can you say amen? That's what forgiveness means. Biblical forgiveness is God's decision to release us from or cancel the debt of our sin, the debt that we incurred as those who have been born with a sin nature and have sinned. It's God's decision. It's God's decision, forgiveness is God's decision to give us, to relate to us in a way that is absolutely completely opposite of what we deserve and what we could earn. The absolute opposite. 
of what we really owe him. Now, what makes forgiveness so difficult for us? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. The longer you wait to answer, the longer we're going to stay here. I was a teacher. I'm used to waiting. You know, as the clock got toward the recess time, they get, well, let's answer. What's so difficult about forgiveness, Aaron Vogel? What's so difficult? When someone does something against you that is really hurtful to you, what is the most difficult aspect of forgiveness? You continue to do what? You continue to do what? Remember it. Isn't that it? You see, forgiveness would be easy if we could just forget it. Let's say, I forgive Phil Widener for the way he talked to me yesterday. And it's gone. I'm released from that, you see, because, oh, wow, that's easy. Hey, Phil, how you doing, brother? Love you. But the problem is that what he said to me and the way he acted to me, I remember. And so does God. He ain't forgotten nothing and ain't going to forget nothing forever. Well, wait, the, the verse says what, Keith? I will remember their sin what? No more. Well, that's a Hebrew idiom. And what does it mean? It means this, that I will remember your sin against you no more. Against you no more. You see, it isn't that God has forgotten and has amnesia because we know that God is what? Ever knowing. He's omniscient. God promises, you see, to never remember our sin against us. In other words, he promises to never act or relate or speak or whatever toward us in any way that has anything to do with our sin that has been forgiven. He never holds us guilty of any sin whatsoever and forever. He never reminds us of our sin. I mean, Tommy, yeah, but I remember that. Yeah, I've forgiven you, brother, but I, I still, I, I, I can still, you know, and you remember that? That's not forgiveness. God never, ever brings back a sin issue to condemn you or to hold you guilty about it. It may come into your mind as an instruction for benefiting from why it happened and how it happened. But when you begin to hear those thoughts about, yeah, you see, you did this, you did that. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the unholy spirit. God always relates to us as if we had never sinned. Now, let it sink in this morning. Because one of the biggest issues we have among ourselves as believers is this issue of forgiveness. I'll forgive, but bro, I'll never forget that, Donnie. I'll never forget, Donnie, what you said. You see, that's not forgiveness. He relates to us as if we had never sinned. He cancels the debt of our sin. Listen to this quote from Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your trespasses, transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were sinning, 
He made you alive together with him. God made you alive together with Christ. Having, as past tense, having forgiven us, what word? You know, if the saints, how many of us want the saints to win all the games? Well, how would you say that word A-L-L if we said we want the saints this year to win? Uh Huh? Well, let's raise a voice to God. Having forgiven us. I remember sitting in my room when we used to live on Walmsley. Reading this letter of Paul. And I had labored over the fact that after I was forgiven, when I continued to sin, what would happen? What does that mean? And I read that verse. And it as if Mike, the Holy Spirit said, Oh! Oh! I just sat there. Oh! All my sin. It absolutely undid in me an entire area of bondage that Satan had kept me in. I am no longer and neither are you if you are saved in bondage to the authority of sin and Satan. Amen. That's good news. That's news worth thinking about. In verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt. You see, the debt. He's released us from debt. Consisting of the decrees against us, the law that condemned us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed all of the guilt to the cross in the body of Jesus Christ. All of it. How forgiven are the people of God? Completely forgiven for how long? Forever. Let it sink into us deep, deep, deep. This is a rock that cannot be broken. This is a work that God has done in us and cannot and will never cancel. Yes, yes. It's a work that he cannot and will never cancel. Come on. Let us rejoice in God. I'm not asking you to clap for me. In Christ. And look what he's done. When did God do it? Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. When was the debt of our sin canceled? When were we forgiven? Let Let me, you just hold on to your seat a moment. We were not forgiven when we asked Jesus to save us. That's when you realized you were forgiven. 
The reason you were able to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved is that Jesus forgave you through his death on the cross. And that forgiveness was applied by God the Father in the resurrection. And so when Jesus said in John 19.30, how many of you know that? Everybody should know John 19.30. It is finished. All the guilt, all the punishment, all of it is what? Is what? Finished. Why? Because you see, the great son of God has taken upon himself all of the sin of all of God's people for all time. Did you notice I use that word all from Colossians 2, 13, having forgiven us all. Now, the problem is, how many of us always feel forgiven? I mean, when Seth Collins does something behind his parents' back and they didn't see it, but he knows God sees it. I'm sorry, Seth. I, I told you not to tell me that, brother. <laughs> we don't feel forgiven, but is that the issue? What is the issue, Glenn? The truth is what? We are forgiven. And when Satan says to you something about unforgiveness, tell him who he is. Jesus said in John 8, 44, he is a liar and the father of lies. Amen. Stop this being kicked around by an enemy who has no more authority unless we embrace his authority. So 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, to be the sin bearer, to wear our sin, to take upon himself our punishment, our guilt. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The wonder of forgiveness. See, because we are forgiven, we're no longer slaves to sin. Do you know that none of us as believers has to sin anymore? Are you with me? Frank, where's Frank Loria? Brother, do you agree with that? We no longer have to sin anymore if we are believers. We're no longer under the authority. We're in the power of sin as to our fleshly desires but we can, with God's word and power and authority in the name of Jesus, resist any and every sin all the time. Now, does that mean we're going to be sinless in this life? I don't think so. But we don't have to agree and walk with sin anymore. We can consistently say no. Why? We're forgiven. Because we have been forgiven, we have been given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Remember Romans 5, 5? 
For the love of God has been what? Poured out or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have the Spirit. Why? Because of the forgiveness that was purchased at the cross. You see, God didn't save us to forgive us. He saved us because he forgave us at the cross. And all those whom he saved, I'm sorry, forgave at the cross, those are the ones he saves by giving us the spirit. Sometimes we put this forgiveness in the wrong place, Brian. We get it backward. The rest of the time this morning, I want to talk about the cost of our forgiveness to God. The cost of our forgiveness. One of the problems with forgiveness in this world, especially in the church, is that it appears. Listen to what I just said. It appears. It seems as if. It's an easy way out. One of the criticisms of this so-called social justice movement. This so-called critical race theory stuff. Is that people accuse the church. And to some extent, rightly so, because the church doesn't always do it correctly. Of easy forgiveness. Okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Every time a wrong is done against us, our ability to forgive is according to our obedience to the word and will and command of God. And when we do that, that forgiveness, if it's the move of the spirit in us, costs us Something in our souls. If you can just glibly forgive somebody. Lord, I forgive you. It's okay. I forgive you. Then either what you have done was not significant or maybe I misunderstood and it wasn't an attack against me. Or I have really misunderstood what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the most costly work of the Lord Jesus. Biblical forgiveness was the most difficult and painful work of the Son of God as he embraces our sin. So let's take a look at what price Jesus paid to give us this marvelous grace for which hopefully we will grow in greater and deeper and stronger gratitude to be withstanding all the attacks of the enemy against us. Not only in these days, but in any days. Remember the story. By the time Jesus enters Gethsemane, he has been anticipating this moment from his baptism. Every day, in every way, through every step, through every word, through every miracle, every work, every instruction is a growing realization of the cross. 
I don't believe Jesus, after the baptism especially, lived one day without Gethsemane and the cross is coming. It's coming. So you see, the payment of the cross begins far before the cross. Actually, it begins in the incarnation, but I think you can get gather what we're talking about this morning. By the time his three years with his disciples had been a progressive assault against sin and Satan, which will culminate in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the assault began after Jesus was baptized. Well, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and what happened in Matthew 3 and in uh, Luke 3? What happened? The temptations, what? In the, in the wilderness. You remember the three temptations. The assault began. The assault began. The payment began. And every day, every day, it became more and more real to him, bit by bit, that he was going to Gethsemane and then to the cross. As he enters the garden, the horror and the terror that awaited him began to crush his innocent soul. He began to feel the weight, the vice grip against his heart, his mind, his soul of the horror and the terror that he was voluntarily walking into to embrace. Listen to his own words in Matthew 26, 36 to 38. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and to, began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. He began to be crushed by the realization and the experience of not only what was happening at that moment, but what was going to happen. Probably one of the reasons is he remembered these words from the prophet Isaiah in 53. Talking about him, he knew he is the subject here. And he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. 
How must his body and soul have literally shuddered, shuddered under the anticipation and the realization that he was about to drink the pollution and the putrefaction of our sin. How much he must have in his soul. <gasps> what must the revulsion have been to him? You see, as he entered Gethsemane, his soul was being crushed by the terror of experiencing the wrath of God. The terror of experiencing the wrath of God. Listen to these, just these two descriptions of his prayer time in the garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14, 35. And Jesus went a little beyond them and he in the Greek, it's a continuing verb. He was falling to the ground. This is not a man who went into the garden and knelt down next to a big rock, lifted his eye and some nice light shone in him and he is a plant. This man begins to go into the garden, falling down and getting up, falling, being thrown down by the terror that he is about to experience. He's never experienced this before. It's as if, hear what I just said. It is as if a beast had grabbed him and was having its way upon him. He was falling to the ground. And as he prayed, listen to the description of the Dr. Luke in Luke 24, 44. And being in anguish. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. This man is in a terrible physical place. And by the time the soldiers come to arrest him, his clothing has blood all over it. However, even though Jesus began to experience the horror and the terror of the cross, the horror was bearing our sin. The terror, the wrath of God. But even though he began to experience that, the experience of the cross shocked his soul. <gasps> as bad as as he thought it was going to be and as terrible as what he was experiencing in the garden it was nothing like what he was to experience in the cross itself he was shocked one of the favorite References that Jesus had during the ministry, especially in the Gospel of John, is he called God, my Father, my Father. The Son of God, face to face, 
intimate fellowship, love with the Father. Takes to himself a human body and soul. And as a man, he puts on himself, he embraces our sin. And then the worst of all the issues. Worse than all that he experienced it comes upon him in about the third hour. And he cries, what? My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? Why? He had never experienced this before. The withdrawal of the love of the Father. The Father turning his face away from his Son. This was the worst of all. This is the most shocking aspect of the cross. It is, or it was as if he no longer was in relationship with God. It was as if everything was over for him. As he began to experience what the Lord said in Ezekiel 18, the soul that sinneth shall die. Not just a physical death, but experience total separation from God into the torments forever. In some way, don't understand how and exactly what. But in some way, this pure, holy, sinless, wonderful, humble, kind, loving, giving, obedient man began to be crushed as if he was the most vile, filthy sinner that ever lived. For whom did he do it? For us. So that by his stripes, our spiritual death is healed forever. Yes. The cost of our forgiveness to Jesus. And also, lest we not forget, the cost of our forgiveness to the Father. What would it be like, parents, if you had to willingly give your child over to a horrible death? What would it cost your heart, your soul? Do you have any idea? Think what this must have cost the God the Father. Let it, let it sink into our souls and ask the Holy Spirit 
give me a greater appreciation and understanding of what my forgiveness is to you first, not to me first, but mostly and essentially to whom? To God. And secondarily to me. This is the forgiveness that we have been given. A forgiveness that declares us no longer guilty of any sin whatsoever. That means hallelujah. This is the forgiveness we have been given. A forgiveness that we could never earn or deserve. And there's no use you continuing to try to get it up by trying to do a few good things and maybe reading your Bible a little extra and making sure you pray tonight because you certainly need something tomorrow. This is a forgiveness that understands experiences and cares about every aspect of the pain and degradation and destruction of my sin. Don't you ever think that no one understands? There's only one who needs to understand. Correct? And he who understands it fully has paid for it fully. You don't have to worry about will that other person get justice or not. You leave that in the hands of a just God and revel in the fact that the justice that you and I deserve because of our sin was placed on the shoulders of the Son of God who was whipped and beaten and nailed until he died. I don't want that justice. I want the mercy so that the justice be poured out upon Jesus. Amen. Thank God. Be very careful, world, how much you clamor for justice. Foolishness. And be careful, church, how much we drink into and accept and walk with that perversion of God's righteousness. Amen? Amen. Oh, yes. There's going to be a payday. Someone got to pay. In my life, Jesus has paid. Alice, in your life, Jesus has paid. David, in your life, Jesus has paid. Jesus has paid. Mark, in your life, Jesus has paid. Amen? Yes. Justice has been satisfied, Matt. For how long? Forever. Yes. Mercy, the mercy of forgiveness. See, this is the forgiveness that we are extending to others who sinned against us. You see, here's where the rub is. As we have been forgiven, so we are also to forgive. Colossians 3.13, a general paraphrase of that. How many of us would ask God, Father, I'm asking you to forgive me 
the same way I forgive those who hurt me. Come on, y'all stand up and come on and take the line. And we'll ask God, Father, forgive me the way I forgive others. Give me the attitude from you that I have toward others. Cause me, Father, to remember all the pain that I have inflicted. You see, we want that kind of forgiveness that we are given, correct? The problem is what? We don't want to give it. And every time we refuse to give it, we dishonor this one for whom his son has died and has given us complete forgiveness. Let's be a different people. You don't have to raise your hand in here, but how many in this church, in this audience, and all of y'all out there somewhere, how many of you have been hurt by someone in this church? I have. How many of you have been hurt by me? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> My wife has. Gina Collins has. Keith, have you been hurt by people in this church, brother? Judy, have you been hurt by people in this church? Attitudes and feelings and thoughts? Let us forgive like God forgives us. Amen. You see, it was the, this gratitude of God's forgiveness of all of his sin that gave the Apostle Paul the reason and the ability to say in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now listen to what Paul says and see if you can identify it. We are afflicted. Can you identify with that? Anyone? And has anybody been afflicted by issues and circumstances? We inflict afflicted in every way. But we're not crushed. Oh yeah, COVID may afflict us, but it ain't crushing us. We're perplexed. Huh? Who can figure it out? Anybody in here smart enough to tell us what's really going on? Daniel, can you do that? Kyle, can you do that? We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted. I mean, folks, you know, think it's weird. But we're not forsaken. We are struck down. But because of God's forgiveness, we are not destroyed. You say, can we remember, can we agree this morning? These are the times that try men's souls. But can we also remember to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken? As we agree with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 31 and 36. Listen to what he says. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who is against us? Nothing and nobody in all creation can be against us successfully. He who did not spare his own son, but he delivered him over for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Why? Because we are forgiven. 
who will bring a charge against God's elect. Who? No one. Why? Because we are forgiven. God is the one who justifies. Who is the, who is the one who condemns? Who? No one can condemn us. Why? Because Romans 8, 1 says what? There is therefore, where? There is therefore what? Right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we are forgiven. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Oh, give me an answer, church. Will tribulation? No. Why? Because we're forgiven. Or distress? No. Because we're forgiven. Persecution? Why? We're forgiven. Famine? Why? Nakedness? Why? We're forgiven. Peril? Why? We're forgiven. Or the sword? No, why? Because we're forgiven. So listen to the confidence of this man, Paul, who in this one man probably had more difficulty than all of us put together. You just go home and you read 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28. This is what Paul lived through. Listen to this man. Uh, looking in the face of the issues of this world. Looking in the face of this virus that could kill some of us. Looking in the face of all those who detest the church. Looking in the face of all of those who are putting forth the filth of fallen humanity as no, as, as the right way. Looking in the face of everything. Looking in the face of it. We say these with Paul. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because we're forgiven. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm convinced of that. Why? Because we are what? Forgiven. We're forgiven. Let's stand and celebrate that. history death is beaten you have rescued me sing it out jesus is alive the empty cross the empty grave life eternal you have won the day shout it out jesus is alive he's alive Wash my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day.
every day, Lord. Let us proclaim it every week, Lord, for the rest of our lives until we see you face to face. We trust in you. We trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, guys.